all across America and around the world. This is Veterans Radio. This is Veterans Radio. And now, your host for today's program, Dale Throneberry. Welcome to Veterans Radio. My name is Dale Throneberry, a CW2 helicopter pilot in Vietnam, 1969. And I want to welcome you to our program. I'm really excited to have everybody here. We're going to be talking about animals today, all of your favorite topics out there. And my guest is going to be uh, Robin Hutton. And Robin has written a couple of books about animals. And before I get to Robin... Uh, and talk about her books, we're going to uh, thank our sponsors, which, of course, we have to do because without them, we could never be here and tell these stories for the last 19 years. Well, first of all, I want to mention uh, Legal Help for Veterans. Legal Help for Veterans specializes in veterans' disability claims. Uh, give Legal Help a call at 800-693-4800. Uh, the National Veterans Business Development Council, better known as NVBDC, They are the nation's leading third-party authority for certification of veteran-owned businesses. If you want to do business with the federal government and many corporations, you need to be a certified veteran-owned business. So for more information, go to their website. That's nvbdc.org. The Charles S. Kettles VA Medical Center here in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, For more information, you can uh, go to their website. That's va.gov slash Ann Arbor Healthcare. We want to really thank the VA. Uh, We know we have a very... Excellent VA health hospital here locally, and uh, we're really happy to help promote them. So as I mentioned, for more information about them, you can go to their website, va.gov slash Ann Arbor Healthcare. Uh, to learn more about these organizations and their services, as well as how you can support Veterans Radio, please just go to our website. That's veteransradio.net slash our sponsors. All right, so let's get right into this. As I mentioned earlier, um, my guest today is Robin Hutton, and Robin is originally from, where was she from? She was from Delaware, one of the larger states out there, <laughs> and uh, eventually went to Ithaca College and received her bachelor's degree there, and then moved off to California and started working with Billy Jack Enterprises. And for those of you that uh, know the movies from the early 70s, uh, Billy Jack is a well-known movie, and I'm going to have Robin talk a little bit about that. And then, for some reason, she decided she was going to write a book about Sergeant Reckless. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with this, but you will be by the time we're done today. So, Robin, I want to welcome you to Veterans Radio. Oh, Dale, it is an honor and a privilege for me to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm excited to talk about all these wonderful four-legged and winged heroes that I know that uh, your fans are going to just uh, fall in love with these stories as much as we have. I'm, I am excited. So, the... Um, how did you get involved in writing? I know when you moved to California, you got, invived, got involved with the Tom Laughlin Enterprise. Right. What was that? So when I moved to Los Angeles, I, I wanted to get into the film business. And uh, I, when I was at Ithaca, I had a, a minor in psychology. And at the time, I, I, when I met Tom, I met him through my uh, – I was working as a bookkeeper for this accounting firm. And Tom needed an, a bookkeeper for a psychology conference that he was putting on, believe it or not, a Jungian psychology conference. And so uh, I was a huge Billy Jack fan, and I thought, okay, I'm going to get my foot in the door. I don't care you know, what I have to do. I'll do the books for the psychology conference. I'll, I'll uh, just make myself indispensable, and that's what I did. And uh, I ended up working with Tom and his beautiful bride, Dolores, for over 33 years. 
And uh, I was, I became a writing partner with Tom uh, because Dolores didn't want to do it. She wrote on the original Billy Jack films with him. I never wrote on those films. They, they were written a little bit before my day. Uh, but um, uh, I, uh, I started working on him and I wrote with him on other screenplays that he wrote. And of course, his books that he wrote on screenwriting and also a psychology of cancer book that he wrote uh, back in the late 1999, early 2000, uh, which was phenomenal. And so it's just been an amazing experience for me because he was such a, he had the world view and I learned so much from this man and Dolores that uh, it was just an amazing, amazing experience for me. Well, how did you make the transition then to writing about Sergeant Reckless? And how did you hear about Reckless? Well, it was really funny because I was working on, uh, I had written a novel in, uh, 19, in the 1990s and, um, I was working on another novel uh, on horse racing. Now, mind you, I never owned a horse, right? But I loved horses and I knew all the, the horse books from growing up, Misty and Chickatig and Black Beauty and Smokey the Cow Horse. And so I was doing research. Um, I needed to find out what the tack is really called and how do you muck out a stall and what kind of illnesses do horses get? I had none of this information, you know, but I'm a stickler for getting the facts and, and doing research. And so I had collected a whole bunch of books uh, on horses and I went to my bookshelf and I pulled off a book called Chicken Soup for the Horse Lover's Soul. Because it was a collection of short stories written by horse owners and or people that had been around horses. And I thought, okay, I'm going to be able to get the lingo here. I'm going to be able to understand things. I'm going to be able to really learn about horses on the inside from people that own horses. And in there was a short story written by Boots Reynolds called Sergeant Reckless, the Mighty Marine. And it's about Reckless giving birth to her first Colt Fearless at Camp Pendleton. And it was funny. It was cute. It was Boots just did an amazing job on it. And in there were three paragraphs of Reckless's heroics in Korea. And I'm like, who is this horse and why have I never heard about her? Because it was the greatest horse story I had ever uh, read. And I Googled her name. This is back in 2006. I Googled her name and only four things came up on the Internet. She had vanished from the pages of history. Um, there was nothing about her except for two articles. One was written uh, in Stars and Stripes magazine in 1992. And another article in San Diego was written to her a couple of years later. And then in 1997, their Life magazine called her one of our all-time greatest heroes. And there was a write-up on her in that. But she had totally disappeared. And that didn't even come up on the search. So I thought this was a travesty. And so I made it my mission that she would never be lost or forgotten again. And so it took me really six years to research and write the book because I had to track down the men that served with her. And if they had passed, I tracked down their children and got their stories and their parent, their dad's pictures that they took over in Korea. And so it was uh, just this wonderful labor of love trying to get her story uh, out there. So uh it's uh it's really really something and now i'm proud to say there are millions of of things that come up when you google sergeant reckless just try it there's over a million coming up you know so i'm very very proud i can certainly understand that (laughs) so tell me tell me um about reckless how did how did her life begin okay so she was a korean bred horse 
we think she was a Jeju pony uh, mixed with a thoroughbred. And over in Korea, they call that a hala horse. She was owned by a young man named Kim Huck Moon, who before the war broke out, he was a jockey. And he had bred Reckless to be, be a racehorse. But war broke out and racing was suspended. And so um, Reckless couldn't race. She was two years old when uh, racing, when the war broke out. So instead, what happened was she became pretty much a pack horse carrying rice from the fields to the docks and, um, uh, you know, just doing what she had to do. And Kim Huck Moon absolutely loved this horse. And uh, his sister sadly uh, stepped on a landmine and when she was working the rice fields and uh, she lost her leg. And so when Eric Pedersen, Lieutenant Eric Pedersen, was looking for a pack animal to help his uh, recoilless rifle unit uh, with uh, carry ammunition up to the guns and carry the rifle because they were very, very heavy, he went to the Seoul racetrack and found Reckless. And uh, actually, her name is Achim Hai or Achim Hay, H-A-I. Um, and uh, she was in such good shape because Kim Huck Moon took such an unbelievable care of care of her and sadly he sold her to uh eric Pedersen for 250 dollars. Pedersen paid that 250 of his own money to help his men and uh kim huck moon's loss was uh the marine corps gain as um uh she became america's greatest war horse and what she did during the korean war well, can you just describe some of the things that, that she did? We don't want to give away the whole story, obviously. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, when the, when they brought her back to camp, it was really interesting because, you know, she didn't know English. She had no idea what, what was being said to her. And and so they brought her back to camp. They named her Reckless after the recoilless rifle that she carried uh, ammunition for because it's a combination. The reckless, the recoilless rifle was called a reckless rifle. And it was also the attitude you had to have to be associated with the weapon because it had such a big back blast that you could only fire from three or four, five places max before you had to pick up the gun and move to another gun site. And um, so it was a really a, a, a deadly weapon in that regard uh, because the, you know, it showed the enemy where you were firing from. So they called her reckless and they had to teach her how to get in and out of a trailer. They had to teach her just everything. And uh, they uh, absolutely loved this horse. Uh, she would eat in their mess tent with them. She loved bacon and eggs and would chase it down with a cup of coffee. She would sleep in their tents at night, you know. Uh, she, uh, uh, Joe Latham, who became her handler, uh, got so good with, uh, with his communication with her that in the heat of battle, he could just give her, be across the way from her and give her hand signals and she knew what he was needing from her but uh, he taught her to climb under communication wire and barbed wire and uh, it, it was just uh, amazing what they had to the, had to teach her and uh, but it was it's a real love story because she was the, really the only female in camp and they knew uh, how important she was to the unit and so they protected her at all costs they even threw their flak jackets over her when uh, in the heat of battle uh, because they didn't want anything to happen to her. And uh, it was really amazing how they were able to train her to do what she did. And uh, each round of ammunition for the recoilless rifle weighed 24 pounds. And so a man could carry maybe two or three, depending on how large the man was, up the hills. But uh, Reckless could carry, uh, She the pictures show her with four, but she would average six and sometimes eight 
rounds on her back. Um, we're not sure exactly how she was, the, the rounds were tethered onto her saddle. Sometimes they stuck them into her pack sat, the, the pack, the Utah bag that she carried, uh, which was a dangerous way to carry those rounds of ammunition because they were live. And if a shrapnel flew, fell into the, um, into the bag, then, um, you know, it could explode and, and she, she would be gone. So, but there are pictures in my book. I'm happy to say there's about 125, 130 pictures in my book of Reckless and her men. Um, you know, and a lot of, some of the shots are on the uh, battlefield or in, in camp. And, um, so, uh, but it was, it was really, really something. I, I I just found the whole story really interesting because yeah. from the standpoint of this sounds like a big dog to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, the part of the story, we're, we're talking here with, with Robin Hutton and her, her book, uh, the book we're talking about, this uh, part of the program is Sergeant Reckless, America's War Horse. Yeah. And she's, um, this this horse uh, wasn't that big. I think, I think mm-hmm. in the book. 13 hands high, yeah. Yeah, just over thirteen. Yeah, I don't know what that means, but it's it's a short horse. She would have she would have come up probably to your chest. Her back would have come up probably to your chest. She was very very short. Right, and but this horse, as you mentioned earlier, was going would just go into the mess hall and kind of (laughs) help herself, and people would help herself uh, or feed her. They taught her how to get into the bunkers. They they taught her, and she would sleep most of the time. It sounded like in the book that she would sleep in a tent with the, yeah. the Marines. Yeah, you love that about her, you know. Yeah. I, I did hear that she snored, and and I also heard that she loved to drink beer. <laughs> that was that was really uh, an interesting thing too, because they would share. You know, she liked Coca Cola, she liked Hershey bars, she liked anything and everything she'd eat. You know, so uh, it's amazing how this horse didn't colic over the years, you know, with all of the yeah. stuff that she ate. But I think she probably, wanted, really... to eat any, she probably wanted to eat anything because she yeah. didn't able to eat anything. For yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's 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 just uh, I, you know, I, I just thought that she, this little horse has changed my life in ways that, you know, I just never imagined. And, you know, <clears throat> when you look at her most heroic battle, you know, she had several missions and battles that led up to her big event um, in March of 1953 of the Battle of Outpost Vegas and then the Battle of the Nevada Cities. And, you know, when you think that um, this battle was one of the most fierce battles in Marine Corps history at that time, and you think about the battles of Bella Wood in World War One or Iwo Jima in World War Two, and you see these, these, these battles and you think that this was comparable and this little horse was in the middle of it. Uh, it's really stunning. And, you know, uh, when she uh, was doing her thing at, on March 26, when the battle began, 3,500 Chinese descended upon three outposts that the Marines or uh, the Allies were guarding and outpost Vegas, Carson, and Reno. They were named after Nevada cities because it was a gamble if you could hold them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was that was pretty funny. But um they had, uh, as the, the, they lost the outposts that first night, uh, because there were only 45 Marines at a time on an outpost and they would help guard and attack the other outposts, you know, as needed. But when you have that much attack coming at you, they couldn't uh, defend each other, let alone, you know, do themselves. And so the outposts were overrun and then Reckless went to work the next day. And when you think that this little pony, who, as I said, was about 13 hands high, 
uh, and at our shoulders. And she made 51 trips this day up to the guns most of the time by herself. They would load her up. They showed her the way the first couple of times, just kind of so she knew the way. But this battle was so fierce that there was so much incoming and outgoing firepower that they couldn't tell on the radar screen what was coming in and what was going out. It was a blur. And so uh, the rounds would collide midair and rain down on the troops, and it looked like fireworks, you know. And uh, I love it that uh, Harold Wadley, Sergeant Harold Wadley, who sh- who saw Reckless during this battle carrying these rounds of ammunition on her back, he said, you know, that uh, he was there must have been an angel riding the back of that mare that day for her to survive this battle. And for her to go up and down the hills, she averaged eight rounds of carry. That's over 250 pounds on her back, up and down uh, these hills, walked over 35 miles through open um, rice paddies and up steep, steep hills. Uh, she was, as I said, the shrapnel, they would rain down on the troops. She was hit with falling shrapnel in her forehead and in her left flank, um, but she still kept kept going. And the amazing thing is they'd load her up, give her a slap. Uh, She'd go up to the site. They'd unload her, give her a slap, and she'd go down and get reloaded. Um, There were times where she also uh, carried a wounded off the battlefield. Don't know how many exactly, how many wounded she carried off. Um, But in my book, I have three verified stories uh, of people that either saw her carrying them or were in the hospital when she was with the unit that brought in wounded. Um, And then one gentleman even went to Camp Pendleton to thank her for saving his life uh, because uh, he had been wounded in the neck, was bayoneted in the neck, and um, and he was bleeding profusely and she carried him down the hill. And, and saved his life. So, you know, she was just this amazing, amazing hero. So, um, you know, because she did what she did, they were able to reclaim the outposts uh, after the fifth day of the battle. And uh, just a few months later, that battle broke the spine of the enemy. And uh, just a few months later in July, the armistice was signed. And uh, uh, people give a lot of that credit too reckless because of the ability that she had to keep the gun so well supplied that one of them even uh, froze. And so uh, that unit was able to stop for the day, but uh, it's amazing what she did it really is. I guess that's the only word we can use. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I can't imagine. I mean, cause she was not led back and forth to battle. No. And mm-hmm. the idea of, of loading her up with, you know, the 500 pounds or 250 pounds, Mm-hmm. Of, uh, basically live ammunition yeah. and say, okay, go. And she yeah, was you're off. Yeah. Up, up these hills. And the pictures uh, mm-hmm. are really uh, interesting. And they, mm-hmm. they, they let you know a lot more about the terrain that she was involved in. And it, it is, exactly. It is, a, it is an incredible animal that was able to do this. And she did it more than once. And she, you know, we yeah. didn't go into all the battles and we don't want right. to do that because we want people to read the book. Yeah. And the idea being though is that as a result of this, um, of her bravery and courage under fire, this is the other thing I can right. imagine being as, as, you know, I was not in the infantry, so I don't understand that whole mindset, but the idea of going back into battle. Right. Constantly going back and coming back again. Yeah. But you mentioned that she was wounded. Mm-hmm. So they they just kind of probably stitched her up and set her out again. 
Yeah. So when 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 she when Joe Latham saw that she had been wounded in the forehead and the, the back, they he took off her back saddle and just uh, they weren't so bad that they needed stitches or anything like that. But she was bleeding, and so he did clean her up, gave her a break, and uh, then you know she got back to work. And you know when you think about. You know, the men used her sometimes as a shield as they went up to the front lines. She was not on the front lines because her the, the distance the gun fired was was a little bit off the front lines. But she fired into the front lines. But the men going up to the front lines would use her as a shield. They'd throw their flak jackets over her to protect her and protect them as they were going up the hill. And, uh, you know, it's just really uh, amazing uh, when you when you hear all of that and, uh, you know, that. Uh, she she just didn't quit, and that's what you love about her. She just didn't quit because horses usually run from the chaos. Donkeys and mules are a lot more steady. They they are a lot more uh, secure in in big noises and everything, but reckless because she knew. Uh, the men were going to protect her and take care of her. Um, and also, I think she had to be a little deaf, too. But the concussion waves, you know, that you, she would feel during during these battles and, and with all of this incoming and outgoing fire going, you know, I mean, it bruised the men. I mean, Harold Wadley said after this battle, he for three days, he fell asleep in a bunker and just kind of sat it out because it was just he was so knocked out by just the concussion waves that were going on. And, and so the same would, would, would have been for her, but you know, that she loved her men and she would do it. They became her herd and she would follow them anywhere. She definitely did. In fact, <laughs> in fact, she followed them home. Yes. I so. love that story. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing because uh, after the armistice was signed and her men were coming home, um, she, uh, she was stuck still in Korea and during, during the battle of outpost Vegas, one of the commanding, uh, officers was a man by, um, Lieutenant Colonel Andrew Gear. and Andrew Gear was a big writer in his day. He wrote, you know, some of the screenplays that you saw with John Wayne, uh, uh, um, Coral Seas, the Battle of the Coral Seas and, and, uh, Barrier Reef. And he just, he was a big writer in his day and he saw the value of Reckless's story. He fell in love with Reckless. As a matter of fact, he wrote the very first book on Reckless in 1955. But more importantly, um, when Reckless was stuck on the hills of Korea, you know, the Marine Corps, uh, wouldn't, uh, pay, they didn't want it to think that bringing her home was going to be a publicity stunt. So they left her over there. Well, she was promoted to sergeant over in Korea. And then a week later, in April of uh, 1954, a story appeared on, I think it's April 10th, uh, in the Saturday Evening Post that um, Andrew Gear wrote. And it's a beautiful story. It had a great picture of, uh, of Joe Latham with her, with loaded up with the four rounds of ammo. Just her iconic picture, if you, if you, if you go to my website. Um, but she, um, he wrote and the last couple of paragraphs in this article was that she was stuck on the hills of Korea and that she couldn't get home and her men were home and there was a national outcry to bring her to America. I mean that everybody was writing letters into the Marine Corps, to the military, to the Pentagon, everywhere saying, bring this horse home. She needs to be brought home. And a, a um, uh, executive from a shipping line uh, saw the article 
And he called up uh, Andrew Gere and he said, if you can get her to Japan by this date in October, um, I will provide free shipping to her. If you have uh, a stall and give her her feet, I'll provide free shipping to her to San Francisco. And so um, that was that was all that was needed. And Andrew Gere put up twelve hundred dollars of his own money to get Reckless home. And uh, she, uh, they had a full rotation ceremony for her in October. I mean, the pictures in the book, when you see them, how they all went out for her, you know, to show her, give her the, the uh, rotation uh, ceremony that she deserved uh, as um, uh, any, any Marine would have gotten, you know, when anybody leaving would have gotten. And they flew her to Yokohama, uh, Japan. They put her on a ship and she landed in America on Marine Corps birthday in 1954. And uh, she was the guest of honor at the birthday ball at the Marines Memorial Club in San Francisco, you know, and she waltzes through the hotel, you know, and goes up to the ceremony. And it's it's priceless to see the pictures and to see, to read the story of, of what a character she was uh, in all of this. Uh, and uh, when she touched American soil on the docks of San Francisco, there was so much press there for her arrival that it was said that she had more press turnout than then Vice President Richard Nixon had the week before. You know? <laughs> and you got to love it. <laughs> you just got to love it. So it uh, and then she left uh, the next day or the next co- a couple of days later, and she headed down to Camp Pendleton in Oceanside, California, where she lived out her days and uh, is buried, is buried at Camp Pendleton. So uh, it's it's just a, a wonderful piece of Marine Corps history. And uh, I'm very proud to, to be a part of it. And my book now is even on the Commandant of the Marine Corps reading list for all Marines to to read if they, uh, as one of that's, their selections. That's so great. We, we are talking <laughs> with Robin Hutton. The, the book is Sergeant Reckless, America's War Horse. And I... And, um, when she got to Camp Pendleton, and we're going to take a break, break here in a minute, but when she got to Camp Pendleton, um, miraculously, she had a number of foals, and their names are just as interesting. <laughs> I know. It's really cute. They had Fearless, Dauntless, and Chesty. Chesty was named after Chesty Puller. And, uh, yeah, Fearless and Dauntless, and I talk about this, and you'll find some fun stories about them. Uh they uh, they were great rodeo horses, and uh, they used they found ways to use reckless. Reckless was brought out for every parade or any kind of of social thing that the Marine Corps that the Marines could think of. They bought brought her out and paraded her around because she was such a wonderful draw. And uh, it was really cute to see some of the events and some of the pictures in the book uh, where she is and. Uh, uh, and what she does, uh, you know, with all of this, they treated her, you know, really so well and, uh, loved showing her off. And, you know, she was promoted twice at Camp Pendleton. Uh, she was promoted to staff sergeant twice because the pay grades changed. And the last time she was promoted, she's the only animal to hold an official rank in the military and she was a staff sergeant. And if she outranked you, you could not lead her in a per. Really? Oh, and I think we just lost her. We just lost our connection. That's okay. So we'll get her back. The uh, the book is Sergeant Reckless, and you've really got to got to get this book. It's by Robert Robin Hutton. Um, 
It's a great story. You can just go on Amazon and find it. When she gets back, we're going to take a break and hopefully she'll get back. Um, we're going to talk about the uh, monument that she was inspir- inspired to um, have built for Sergeant Reckless. And then we're going to talk about her other books, The War Animals, many more war animals. So uh, we're going to take a real quick break and we will be back right after this. You're listening to Veterans Radio. The Medal of Honor is the highest award for valor in combat given a member of the Armed Forces of the United States. There have been over 3,400 recipients of the nation's highest award. This is one of them. Hospital Corpsman John Kilmer died shielding his wounded comrade with his own body. Details after this. If you have a VA claim denied by the Board of Veterans' Appeals, contact Legal Help for Veterans at 1-800-693-4800. They're experts in handling cases before the U.S. Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Their number again, 1-800-693-4800. Kilmer's company was defending a vitally important Korean Hill position well forward of the main line of resistance during an assault by large concentrations of hostile troops. Kilmer repeatedly braved intense enemy mortar, artillery, and sniper fire to move from one position to another, administering aid to the wounded, and expediting their evacuation. Painfully wounded himself when struck by mortar fragments while moving to the aid of a casualty, he persisted in his efforts and inched his way to the side of the stricken Marine through a hail of enemy shells falling around him. Undaunted by the devastating hostile fire, he skillfully administered first aid to his comrade, and as another mounting barrage of enemy fire shattered the immediate area, unhesitatingly shielded the wounded man with his body. Kilmer was mortally wounded by flying shrapnel while carrying out this heroic action. The Medal of Honor series is a production of Veterans Radio. Military veterans touch everyone's life. I'm guessing right now you're thinking of a veteran, a close friend, relative. Maybe it's you. Even the toughest of us sometimes need help but don't know where to turn for support. You don't need special training to help a veteran in your life. We can all help someone going through a difficult time. Learn how you can be there for veterans. Visit VeteransCrisisLine.net. VeteransCrisisLine.net. A message from the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. And we're back here on Veterans Radio and Ain't Technology Grand. So we, uh, so sorry we talk- about that. we're talking with, uh, Robin Hutton, uh, author of the Sergeant Reckless. And what I wanted to get to right now is there are now memorials to Sergeant Reckless and you are responsible for many of those. Yes. I am proud to say we now have six national monuments to Reckless around the country. Uh, as I told you before, you know, I made up my mission that she would never be forgotten again. Um, I started a nonprofit back in 2009, and and we raised money. And our first one was at the National Museum of the Marine Corps uh, in Quantico, Virginia. And uh, 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 the Commandant of the Marine Corps, James Amos, was there to get uh, to give the command to unveil the statue, and it's absolutely stunning. You would just have to see how beautiful Jocelyn Russell was the artist. And we did that one, and then we have one at Camp Pendleton that was dedicated in 2018, and then Kentucky at the Kentucky Horse Park. Um, there's, uh, she stands as a monument in, uh, Illinois at Barrington Hills, Illinois, and on a farm that works with veterans with PTSD and horses. And so she's the, um, uh, the, the image, uh, of that. And she's at the National Cowgirl Museum and Hall of Fame in Fort Worth, Texas. 
She's a cowgirl. She's got that attitude, boy. And then our last one is at the um, World Equestrian Center in Ocala, Florida. And if you Google World Equestrian Center, uh, her image is the it's the iconic image of the whole center, and it's absolutely stunning. So we are very very proud of these six monuments, and they're kind of spread out enough that people in the different areas can go see them. And we hopefully uh, will get her to South uh, South Korea one of these days. So that's that would be that would be a, a fitting place for one. That's yes, for sure. For sure. Well, yeah. Well, so. Going to do a, a, a quick segue here from Sergeant mm-hmm. Reckless over to the other animals that somehow you have become involved with now. Yes. And this is, uh, her latest book. And it's, it's not, you know, didn't come out last week. It's been out for a little while, but it's, uh, War right. Animals, the Unsung Heroes of World War II. Yes. And in this one, we're going to talk about not only are we going to talk about some, couple of horses and donkeys and mules, but we've got dogs, we have pigeons, and even a cat. <laughs> you got to love the cat. I know. got to love the cat. That's my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite one of all of them. So yeah. how did how did you make that segue from reckless into other war animals? Well, you know, as I said, I was looking for anything and everything I could do to promote reckless. And uh, in 2008, no, 2016, I discovered this medal that Great Britain had been giving out to animals since 1943. It's called the Dickon Medal. And Maria Dickon started this. She had a, a, a veterinary service that gave free veterinary care. And this is a wonderful program that the British have. Um, the People's Dispensary for Sick Animals. And this has been around for over 100 years. And this medal has been given out, uh, 42 in during, uh, World War II it was given to 32 pigeons, 18 dogs, three horses, and the cat but during World War II. And that's when it started. Well, I applied for Reckless to get the Dickon medal. And, um, and in doing so, I reached out to my publisher and I said, Hey, check out this. I need a press release. I'm going to England. I'm getting this prestigious award for Reckless. You know, I need, I need a press write up. So he looked and he says, man, there are a lot of great stories in here. And I said, I know. And he says, you know, why don't you write a book uh, on uh, them? And I said, I do it in a heartbeat. So uh, with the Dickon medal, because it's British, there were mostly British animals that uh, received it. So I had to give my uh, book an American angle, which was, you know, quite easy to do because it uh, there were so many great animals that uh, served during World War II. Um, and so uh, I, after I came home from England, uh, I uh, getting with Reckless's medal, I, I started in on the research uh, on this book. And I actually went over to England to the PDSA and they opened up their archives to me and every article and picture and everything that they had in their files they gave to me, which was amazing. And uh, it's just been this wonderful uh, group of animals that uh, I'm very, very proud. And I get amazed, you know, as I was preparing for this um this interview, this this program, I was just kind of reading through the the animals because I wrote it within a year, and so it was pretty pretty fast. And so I'm like, I want to catch up on these. And man, you start reading into their stories, the pigeons, the dogs, and what they did is is truly stunning. And um, for me, what I found interesting is Brit the Britons uh, had a war dog program in World War One, 
and then they closed it down and then they restarted it up again in World War II. Well, we never had a war dog program. And when World War II broke out, uh, when Pearl Harbor was attacked, uh, a poodle breeder named Arlene Erlanger got together with her Westminster dog show friends and her American Kennel Club friends and says, we got to get the dogs into this. And they started Dogs for Defense. And they uh, put a cry out to the American public that they needed dogs to join the Army, the, the Coast Guard. They needed the, to train dogs to protect our shores and our uh, major uh, airports and factories and things like that. Well, people donated their personal dogs. This to is what I planet. found so amazing in your story is it, that people were donating. Their, I mean, they're donating butch and Yes. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, Dale. You touched my, my Australian shepherd, Misty. We're skipping <laughs> World War II. We're going right to World War III. I mean, there's no way I'm going to send my dog to war. But, you know, 40,000 dogs were donated. 20,000 made the cut. You know, people just wanted to help. And so their dog might have been too old or, you know, chihuahuas are just not going to work on the <laughs> war front. You know, sadly, I love chihuahuas. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, they, they aren't really war dogs um, in that regard. But, um, you know, 40,000, 20,000 made the cut. 10,425 ended up going and serving either with the Coast Guard or with the Army. And then the Marine Corps had their own set of dogs, mostly Doberman Pinschers, that were trained and 1,300 dogs that went over and served in the Pacific. And uh, it's just amazing when you learn these stories of these incredible dogs that started off as pets. And um, one of the most famous dogs in the book was a dog named Chips, who actually uh, is the most decorated dog in that he received uh, the Silver Star. He actually received the Silver Star for what he did uh, on the invasion of Sicily. Uh, they were in a boat. They, they were, um, there were three points of attack along the, the beaches of Sicily. He was on the northern edge. Uh, their Higgins boat hit the beach. They get out. He and his handler get out. They're being attacked by a machine gun nest. He breaks free of his handler. He charges the machine gun nest. He pulls it off the tripod, gets the gunner by the neck, and drags the guy out of the machine gun nest. And then three other Italians come out because they're in surrender because they're more afraid of this dog than they are being a prisoner of war, you know, but he was wounded. They had shot at him in the nest and he had had a bullet graze his back and uh, his forehead, but he, you know, they were just superficial wounds, but he actually was given the silver star and he was up for a purple heart. But sadly, those were both taken away from him because he was a dog and it was people believed that it was or the head of the military order of world wars and purple heart felt that it was not uh, it was dimin- diminishing the value of these awards to give it to a dog when they should have been just for men we, but, we have had uh, numerous dog handlers on uh, from vietnam mm-hmm. uh, and how how attached they were to these yes. dogs and in fact we have a war dog memorial here in michigan Mm -hmm. Oh, it's a great memorial. Yes. It's a beautiful uh, memorial. I think the idea of people donating their animals for the cause is is just what really got to me on that. You know, and then, of course, the dogs come home at the end of the war and they get to, you know, they have a, I think, what what was it, a six-month Yes, quarantine, or they were trying to make sure that the dog could be retrained and be safe. 
to go back to its family. And uh, most of them are, most of them were, most of them went back to their families and, uh, uh, and Chips went back to his family. And I, I have to tell you, it was a wonderful moment for me. Uh, Chips went back into full fanfare when he was uh, gone, went home, he was on a train ride and went back to Pleasantville, New York and photographers and, you know, the press met him at the train station and the family was there. And it was just an amazing day. And uh, to have this war dog come home and um, I nominated Chips for the Dickin Medal. And uh, Johnny Wren, who was four years old when his war dog came home, went to England and got the Dickin Medal uh, for his dog Chips over in England. And it was just a, an amazing thing because of what he did was was truly something. And these dogs did come home. And that's why it was so sad that in uh, in the Korean War and in Vietnam, they were treated as equipment and they were left behind. And that was devastating. And thankfully, today, that is all changed. And uh, now I think it's, you know, so many of these dogs have multiple people who would like to uh, take them in and rehome them after their service in our, for our country. Right. We've done a number of those for you. Of, That's uh, awesome. To Veterans Radio for the first time. If you go to our website into our search engine and p- type in war dogs, you're going to yeah. find a couple of stories about those that are in there. So let's uh, leave America now and let's go over to England. Okay. Where, you know, not only did people volunteer their dogs over there and there, yes, there they are did. quite a few stories about that. They also volunteered their pigeons. Yes. And I know. This, this, <laughs> this was beyond my uh, comprehension. So, so uh, well, let's talk a little bit about their dogs and real quickly, because okay. these dogs were the ones that would go in after the blitzes, you know, the, the London uh, bombings and so forth yeah. and try to find survivors and the bodies. Yes. And it's honestly and when you read the book, I don't know how the British and I, I think it's really thankfully to Winston Churchill who kept them so centered and feeling that they could get past this. And when you see the blitz and knowing that the blitz went on there, you know, for a year, over a year, they were being bombed and you see the devastating pictures and the dogs that would go in. Um, there was uh, one dog rip who was a, a little mongrel. Um, he went in and found um, would find bodies and, and people. He was on uh, over a hundred uh, rescues uh, uh, during during all this in London, trying to find people, and you know uh, he'd find bodies and he'd also find live people. Beauty, which was this beautiful little dog, um, and actually I think she was the first dog that received the Dickon Medal. Um, she she went in and. She rescued 63 animals that were trapped in the, uh, just the barrage and the, and all the rubble. And how she did that was, was just, uh, truly amazing. And, um, there was, uh, another dog, Peter, who also went in and rescued both, uh, he rescued animals and, um, he was a collie. And there's a picture of him in the book that I love because, uh, it's with the king and queen and also Princess Elizabeth is there uh, being honored when with Peter. But the funny story about Peter is he was one that would rescue uh, mostly people and live people. And they were digging in some rubble and they hear somebody shouting and swearing and they can hear him in the rubble, you know? And so Peter's digging ferociously and the men are over there and everybody's trying to get rid of this. And they pull back some piece of rubble and it's an irate parrot in a cage. <laughs> 
yelling at them, <laughs> swearing at them. And, and Peter rescued, you know, the, um, rescued the uh, parrot. But, um, you know, you think about what these, uh, these dogs have done, um, and in the, uh, uh, just saving people. I know, I think it was the dog Irma in there where she just wouldn't give up, uh, when a hotel was bombed and she knew that there was something else there. And, uh, finally they look up and it's like on the fifth story that was bombed away. There was a woman trapped up there still alive. Um, and she was the only one up there. And so he, uh, she saved, uh, her life, you know, and, uh, it's it's just phenomenal to see how how they pitched in and and the people pitched in during during the blitz and uh, I swear it uh, I just don't know how they survived it I really, really I, don't. I don't either we're we're talking Very here with, with Robin Hutton and in this book we're talking about right now is called War Animals and some of these dogs and they weren't big dogs no some of them were little dogs that not mm-hmm. only would go in you know dig the um, could get down into the rubble yeah yeah, yeah one is called a digging dog. Um, <laughs> but they also were involved in the, uh, in the Normandy invasion mm-hmm. where they would parachute in with the, uh, soldiers, parachutes yes. in a little bag and would, you know, end up in France. Yes. And, you know, it's, it was really amazing, uh, that, uh, Dale, that there was one dog in the book name uh, Bing, and Bing was one of these parachuting dogs and uh, owned by a a family, Betty Finch. And, you know, she donated Bing to the cause and she actually got Bing back after. But what happened was in the invasion of Normandy, when they were jumping out in these parachutes and jumping and, and landing, Bing got stuck up in a tree. And he was up there for like two hours before his handler could, A, find him and then uh, get him down. But, you know, once he once he got down, he uh, went on and did business as usual. He was a scout dog. He was also just a, a guard dog at night. And uh, he went on to uh, to do some wonderful things for his unit. Uh, they will say openly that. With these dogs there, there's no way really, and the pigeons too, you know, there's no way to account for the number of lives that these animals have saved because uh, they were like force multipliers, as they say today about the dogs, um, that they're, they, they add so much to the ability to fight. And, uh, and it, it, it's, it's just, uh, just amazing. But Bing was, was really something special. There was another paratrooper dog named Rob that also made a lot of jumps, uh, and, uh, into it. And, you know, they would just float right down and, and be part of it. And, uh, they were actually, they didn't even jump with their handlers. They jumped by themselves with the parachutes uh, on them. And so it, it was really, really, uh, really something to, to read about and to, uh, to understand. I think uh, just so, to write about it is so, yeah, it would be so it was, exciting. And oh, it was so fun. You know, there, are, there are so many other stories that we haven't even gotten to, yeah. um, in, in this book. Uh, but I do want to touch on the, on the pigeons, um, yeah. <laughs> real quickly because they, I don't know. I mean, I've known about homing pigeons and, you know, and I've heard rumors and stories yeah. and so forth, but never to the extent of what you covered in your book. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm very proud of them, you know, and, and you see when, when you learn in the book, you'll see, and you'll see pictures in the book, you know, these, these birds were either dropped with a parachuter, you know, carried in, or they were thrown out in cages and parachuted down. They were used as spies. They would be dropped behind the French 
um, uh, line of resistance and dropped in, in cages. And they'd have like a, a form you could fill out if you found the bird. And you'd fill out this little questionnaire, attach it to its capsule, release it, and the bird would go back with information on what was happening behind enemy lines. I mean, that is just insane. And when you you know, there were birds that uh, received the Dickin Medal, that there was Gustav who flew the first message back from the landing of Normandy to report back on how things were going, uh, which was amazing. His his little wife, too, was also uh, uh, flew messages back and forth. Um, it's amazing these these birds, you know, they were very um, nest centered, you know, and they mated for life. Patty was a, an Irish pigeon, the only Irish pigeon to receive the Dickin Medal back in the day. And Patty was uh, on the invasion of Normandy, and he flew the fastest over the English Channel uh, with reports back uh, on the landing. And when you think about having to not only fly through the battlefield, uh, get past um, the the um, at Calais, especially in France, they they had falcons that the German the they would uh, release to kill these pigeons to try to protect them from not getting their messages across, and then to fly back for the first time across the English Channel to their loft in in England. I mean, is truly stunning. And it is said with the pigeon Patty, which I, I loved about Patty, is that he was very connected to his mate back in the loft. And it's, it's credited to her that part of his speed was that he wanted to get back to her uh, oh in the loft. And uh, he flew 230 miles, I think it was, in like four hours and something, uh, fastest time uh, a pigeon ever flew across the English Channel. And uh it's uh, it really is something uh, something to um, to really read about and understand what these pigeons did. There was an American pigeon named G.I. Joe that received the Dick and Mail, the only American animal uh, to uh, uh, to receive the uh, the medal uh, until uh, 9/11, when some dogs that were at 9/11 received the medal. Mm-hmm. But GI Joe flew 20 miles in 20 minutes and stopped the planes on the tarmac from taking off and bombing a town that the British had just taken over. And because he was able to stop those planes, he was the only way that they were able to communicate back to headquarters that they had taken over the town. Uh, earlier than expected, um, uh, G.I. Joe saved all of those men's lives. And they flew him back to London after the war, and they gave him the medal at the Tower of London. And 600 and so people turned out to see this American pigeon who, uh, you know, really did this. And uh, so it's it was wonderful to see how they honored and appreciated what these animals did. And, uh You know, learning history through the eyes of the animals is just such a special thing to be able to do because you find joy in it. You you, you know, you learn something new about about what these animals did. And the the history kind of sticks with you a little bit, you know, more because you are identified with it. So uh, it's I'm very blessed to be able to tell these stories. Well, yes. And and actually, one of the pigeons was um, owned by the king. 
Yes. Oh, I know. Yeah. He, and you know, he let his lofts and there's, there's some wonderful things. Cause he, he really, really felt like he, they, uh, you know, they were very, very important. And you loved it that, uh, the king and queen took such a role in appreciating, uh, these animals right. and uh, opening that up. It, it really was something special. So well, we, well, we've gone through dogs and we've gone through pigeons and we're running out of time. So yeah. I have to get to the cat, the cat, Simon, the war cat. Now, Simon, was a little outside of World War II, but he's a war cat, you know, so he has to be in the book, right? So Simon was on a ship, um, the Amethyst, going up the um, Yangtze River, and uh, this was during the conflict between Chiang Kai-shek and Mount Setong. And the British, he was on a British ship. He was the mascot and, you know, the captain loved him. He slept in his cap, in his bed, and he just loved Simon. And so what happened, though, he had... Uh, gone in and, uh, he was, the ship was attacked and the captain and 21 sailors were, um, uh, killed. And so Simon was also wounded. Well, as when they found Simon and he started to recover, he was in sick bay and he started to uh, be, a, he was the very first therapy cat because he helped the men get through their illnesses by, you know, purring and pawing and all of that. But the most important thing is the ship was stuck for a hundred days on the riverbanks and rats were coming on and it was threatening the very small food supply, water and medicines. And the, uh, he started killing a rat a day and taking it to the new captain and dropping it at his feet as a trophy. And so by the time the ship broke free and headed to Hong Kong, Simon was a hero. And there's a picture of him prancing down the gangplank when he landed in Hong Kong as this great hero that saved really the food and everything with the uh, the men. And so he received the Dickin Medal as part of his uh, heroic efforts to protect that's, his men. That's, that's a great story, Robin. We've been, we've been talking with Robin Hutton today. And her books are Sergeant Reckless and war animals, and uh, we've only got about two and a half minutes to go. So tell me about your nonprofit that you have started to honor some of these animals. Yes, so when I got the Dickin Medal for Reckless, um, I was stunned that America didn't have this medal. And uh, so uh, we went back, and uh, we now have, in 2019, we had the very first Animals in War and Peace Medal of Bravery, where we honored eight animals. We honored Reckless and then two pigeons and five dogs. Uh, during And it was members of Congress presented these medals at the Capitol. We are now working to get this to become a congressionally mandated award, uh, which is amazing. And uh, our next ceremony is in March, March 9th at the Capitol. We'll be honoring six dogs uh, and uh, with uh, three with the Medal of Bravery and three with the Distinguished Service Medal. So please go to my website at animalsandwarandpeace.org, or you can also go to waranimals.com, and uh, you can uh, see what we're doing and join us. We'd love to have your support uh, with this, raising the money to honor these animals the way they should be honored. And we want to also do a museum eventually to tell, as I said, tell history through the eyes of the animals and have their stories live on for generations to come. So it's very exciting, and I'm just very blessed. It is, and, and uh, thank you very much for doing all of this. Thank you. Uh, I think it's 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 a great opportunity for people to find out more about what these animals have done. Yeah. Um, probably what animals are going to be doing in the future, mm-hmm. and uh, to have a museum where they can actually go 
and and see these stories, I think is great. Yeah, so, I'm excited uh, about it. Very, very excited about it. I know. I am too. I'm anxious to see these things. Yeah. Um, so again, so this is this has been Robin Hudden today. Uh, the books have been Sergeant Reckless from uh, a, a racehorse actually in Korea originally. It carried ammunition and war animals and every species pretty much that you can imagine <laughs> is in that book. And it's a really good read. It's it. I think it probably goes along with that, you know, uh, chicken soup for the soul about animals. (laughs) That started the whole thing. Thank you. Yeah. Robin, thank you very much. Thank you, Dale, for having me. It's a pleasure and a privilege to be here. Okay. We will talk to you again, I'm sure, in the future. Great. Anytime. I'm here. All (laughs) righty. Thank you. God bless. Take care. God bless you. Thank you. Coming up to the end of the program. Uh, we want to make sure that we uh, thank everybody, and i got to go. we got 10 seconds. So until next week, come on back to Veterans Radio, and until then, you are dismissed. <laughs>